0: Hello, Deep Dive listeners. I'm Sean McKenna, and I have something I'd like to ask you. Are you happy? That was the question put to 500,000 people living across the country in an effort to discover the happiest place in Japan. And uh, spoiler alert, it wasn't Disney World. Today, Japan Times staff writer Alex Martin joins us to share what he learned on a visit to this joyful place, and to give us an idea on what happiness actually means here. Alex Martin, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thank you, Sean. It's great to be back. And uh, congratulations on your recent Society of Publishers in Asia award. That was for reporting on the mythical Japanese wolf. Yes, my favorite topic. Is it still is it mythical, or have we come to a decision on that? We haven't found the actual
1: animal yet, so I guess at the current stage, yeah, we can call it mythical. Okay.
0: <laughs> so a few months ago, you wrote an article titled "Inside Japan's Happiest Town." which did really well with our readers. But for those who didn't read the piece, can you tell us where Japan's Happiest Town is? And I think maybe we might need a drum roll for this.
1: Yes, Japan's
0: Happiest Town is Hatoyama, Saitama Prefecture. Interesting, so I've lived in Japan for more than 20 years, and I have to say, I've never heard of this place. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yes. It's located in the middle of Saitama Prefecture. Uh, it's about an hour, an hour and a half from Tokyo by train, I would say. Um, although it doesn't have its own train station. So you would have to take a bus from uh, nearby stations or a car. Hmm. It's a rather small town. The population is a little bit over uh, 13,000 people. And it's your typical sort of rural town that you can find anywhere in uh, Japan. It has the, uh, the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency's Earth Observation Center and also the Hatoyama New Town, which turned out to be the main theme for my story. It's a uh, basically a residential project that was born back in the 1970s.
0: Okay, we're going to get you to explain what a new town is later on. But first, how did Hatoyama get the title of happiest town in Japan? So
1: a construction and a real estate company called Daito Trust, they spent three years uh, talking to over 500,000 adults living in uh, all of the nation's uh, 1,883 uh, municipalities. This is across all the 47 prefectures in Japan. Right. So it was quite a uh, sort of significant survey, and uh, that really caught my eye. And what they did was they asked these respondents to uh, sort of rate their happiness on a scale of 1 to 10. And then their answers were then multiplied by 10. And uh, number one on the spot was Hatoyama, with 74.2 points.
0: So, just to be clear, there have been other surveys naming different towns in Japan as the happiest. For example, I know that the Japan Research Institute had one that said it was Saitama City.
1: Right. Actually, there's all sorts of surveys regarding uh, the happiest town. But you really need to look closely at these. Um, sometimes they're very sort of small surveys, just asking you know a few hundred people and perhaps not as trustworthy as the one that Daito Trust uh, conducted. So it really depends on uh, what you're looking at. And the answers sort of differentiate, too, depending on the uh, whoever's conducting the survey.
0: Okay. So you decided to explore what was going on in Hatoyama, what was making them so happy. Uh, but before we get into that, had you ever been to Hatoyama before reporting on it?
1: Actually, I've heard the name earlier this year when I wrote a different story about a uh, town called Tokigawa. This is also in Saitama Prefecture. Happens to be right next to Hatoyama. And the story on Tokigawa I wrote about was uh, primarily on how uh, depopulation in Japan may not be entirely a bad thing. And this town was uh, trying to sort of lure in younger people with new startups and other sort of programs. So I went to Tokigawa earlier this year. And while I was talking to a couple of people over there, I think someone mentioned the Hatoyama Newtown Project. Mm. And then I saw the Daito Trust Survey, and then like, ah, I know this town. I've heard about this town
0: before. So you went there. What was it like going there for the first time?
1: I took a train up to Sakado Station in Saitama, and then I rented a car. Mm -hmm. It's very close from Sakado, maybe 10, 15 minutes. There's nothing much by the roadside. It's your typical sort of suburban Japanese sort of scenery with occasional convenience stores and homes lined up. And then suddenly you take a turn up a hill, and uh, you're surrounded by forests, sort of like a small mountain. Mm -hmm. And you take this narrow road up the hill, and suddenly on both sides of the road, you see these uh, very clean two-story houses lined up. Very sort of unlike any scenery you would typically see in the Japanese countryside. Mm -hmm. It has that sort of American suburban feel, and uh, one thing I really noticed was the lack of uh, overhead power lines. Uh Which, if you live in Japan, you'll notice everywhere. It's like power lines all over the place. But this Hatoyama New Town complex that I sort of wandered into, there are power lines, but they're very sort of scant and few. So the sky is very clear, right? And you see these houses lined up very clean, interspersed with little sort of narrow alleys and parks. And uh, it was quite an interesting scene.
0: To me, that sounds like a fairly standard suburb. Is there anything that makes it stand out?
1: Right. So... One thing I found really interesting when I was talking to the residents there was that there are no shrines or temples. And this is very rare, because in almost all uh, towns or villages or municipalities you visit in Japan, you would find at least a shrine or a temple. Right. And Hatoyama Newtown lacks that, so it's quite different from anywhere else
0: in Japan. Okay, there's that term again, Newtown. What is a new town?
1: The new town is sort of a concept the government came up with uh, back in the 60s when a bulk of the Japanese population started migrating to the big cities. And uh, basically there was too many people in uh, cities like Tokyo, Osaka, crowding the city and the prices of uh, land was really going up. People had a hard time finding a nice place to live. Mm -hmm. So developers and municipalities and and the government, they decided to sort of establish these so-called new town residential projects on the outskirts of these big cities essentially creating towns from scratch to accommodate the growing number of people and new families that are gathering to the cities so they can commute to the cities rather than actually living in the cities.
0: Okay, so essentially this was kind of Japan's move into the suburbs. Yes. Okay. So we know what Hatayama New Town looks like. Who lives there?
1: So the Hatayama New Town project, roughly half of the population of uh, Hatoyama Town live there. The other half lives in the other side of the town, the older town, which mm-hmm. is just like your old Japanese town. It would have its shrine. It would have its uh, temples. It would not be as sort of meticulously planned out like Hatoyama New Town is. So this town is interesting because half the population lives in this New Town project that was uh, developed 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. The other half have been living there for generations, you know, dating back hundreds of years. So combined, the population, as I mentioned before, is about 13,000. So maybe like 6,000, 6,000 live in two different sort of areas in the town.
0: Okay. And then this Daito Trust survey, that would have taken into account the both, both yes. sides. Okay. One of the things you also said in your article is that there's a higher percentage of elderly people that live in Hatoyama compared to other suburbs across Japan.
1: Actually, I think what happens when you talk about sort of average people over 65, what happens is uh, you find that average lower in big cities, obviously, because you have mm-hmm. a bit bigger mix of younger people. And once you go into the suburbs and the rural areas, it, it goes up. Mm-hmm. In Hatoyama's case, it's really high. 45.5% uh, of the population is over 65. And I think if you just look at the new town population, half the town's population, I think it exceeds 50%. Oh wow! So it's basically, you know, an old person's town pretty much.
0: Right. Compare that to the national average then.
1: Which is 29.1, which is also pretty high, but uh, (laughs) still, you know, there's a huge difference between 45.5 and 29.1.
0: So you have a place that has kind of more elderly people than usual that also comes out as the happiest town in Japan. Do you think the age of the residents has an effect on the town's ranking in terms of satisfaction?
1: I think it's a combination of not just age, but the fact that a bulk of the population appears to be very healthy mm. and also wealthy. Oh. And these two combination is, you know, <laughs> common sense, but uh, is, w- would be a huge criteria, I think, in measuring happiness. Yeah, I guess they're lucky too. To be there, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the key is health. There's a term called a healthy life expectancy. This is different from your average life expectancy. Healthy life expectancy is your average life in good health. So, oh. so you're not bedridden or you're not terminally sick. Okay. You're actually able to walk around and do your own shopping and stuff like that. The average for that in Japan stands at uh, 72.68 years for men and 75.38 for women. Mm. In Hatoyama, it's much higher. Um, it's 84.16 for men and 86.12 for women. So basically, this is the age that people can live to when they can pretty much look after themselves. Which is quite amazing, I think, because I think the average life expectancy for the Japanese is somewhere, you know, 85 to 88. So what we're seeing here is that uh, most of the folks in Hatoyama appear to be living in good health until the moment
0: they die. That's incredible. So if you Mm. live in Hatoyama, then you kind of have a shot of living an extra healthy 10 years of your life. Perhaps. Huh. So how did Hatoyama manage to kind of create this situation where people were living healthier for longer?
1: Right. So when the current mayor of Hatoyama came in, I think is in his fourth term right now. So this is over a decade ago. He sort of established what he called the uh, the Hatoyama model, essentially teaming up with different hospitals, uh, universities, uh, different institutions to sort of uh, promote a sort of healthy lifestyle campaign to all its residents. Mm. And uh, there's several different facets to this. One is uh, cardiovascular activities, exercise, okay. strength training, eating healthy, and taking walks. The mayor told me that, you know, they really encourage their residents to take walks. And these all have impacts on their healthy life expectancy.
0: Right. And I guess if um, you're kind of doing the strength training and if you're doing kind of the walks and you're eating healthy, that means less trips to the hospital. And that means you're more likely to be happy, right?
1: So I think statistically, while Hatoyama is one of the oldest uh, municipalities in Saitama, a town of 13,000, half of them are over 65, but the amount of nursing care fees that uh, the entire municipality requires is the second lowest in the entire prefecture of Saitama, which is a huge prefecture.
0: Wow. So if you get anything from this article, that's take your walks.
1: Take your walks, Yes. Take your walks, yes. Which is hard for people living in central Tokyo, for example. Hmm. You could take walks, but it's not as uh, gratifying, perhaps, than walking out in the
0: countryside with clean air, obviously. Right. So you also mentioned wealth earlier. So I guess that's kind of obvious. If you're financially stable, then you're likely to be happier overall.
1: Yes. I think one thing in common is that uh, most of the families who uh, initially moved into these new towns um, back in the 70s or the 80s or even the 90s They were dreaming of a sort of a happy sort of retirement and a very nice environment where there's a balance between uh, nature and necessary infrastructure, Mm -hmm. which also meant that these people were relatively affluent because these homes were actually quite expensive back in the days, especially during the bubble years um, in the late 1980s and 1990s. So what you're seeing is uh, a lot of people who moved into these new town projects, paid up all their mortgage so they don't have to worry about their rent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus, they're typically from uh, relatively affluent companies or corporations or their own sort of self-employed sans, meaning they have a a pretty good sort of pension scheme. And all that combined means that uh, they can live a relatively affluent retirement, a happy retirement.
0: But as we mentioned at the top of the show, you'll see in other surveys that there are happiest places named in Japan that are in less affluent uh, prefectures like Miyazaki and Okinawa. So... A lot of the conclusions that people come to from that is that money can't buy happiness, to quote that old idiom. What's the relationship between the fact that the wealthy people in Hatoyama are pretty happy, but also the not-so-wealthy people in these other prefectures are also very happy?
1: The key is community. It's always the community. If there's a tight-knit community, people's sort of satisfactions toward their lives seem to go up. Um, This has been the case with, for example, Fukui has been named the happiest uh, prefecture several times before. Mm -hmm. They're not the most affluent, but uh, they're extremely tight-knit in terms of uh, each sort of municipality, so they don't migrate that much. You see the same generation of people living in the same neighborhood, which means they have an extremely strong community. And I know this can be suffocating at times, but apparently, from statistics, it seems that that sort of increases the level of happiness. In Okinawa, it's the same. They have a uh, very distinct uh, culture, Uh uh, quite different from the rest of Japan. And, uh, and community and uh, sort of camaraderie is extremely important in Okinawan culture. So there's uh, Okinawa terms like uh, yuntaku, which is to sort of uh, basically mingle with your neighbors and friends. And there's a term called yuimaru, which is to sort of uh, help each other out. So it's a very community-based society in Okinawa, for example. And I think these things are the primary factors that really sort of uh, elevate people's happiness. Um, when we go back to Hatoyama, It's also a community. It's 50 years, it's a very young town perhaps, but it's the same people living in the same neighborhood.
0: Now you mentioned camaraderie and that topic came up in an article you wrote at the start of the year titled Is Japan Happy? In that piece you outlined Japan's poor showing when it came to happiness around the world. We got a 6.039 out of 10. That's compared to a score of 6.977 for the United States, a 7.162 for Australia, and a seven point eight two one for Finland, which was in the number one spot. Do you think that if the residents of Hatayama had been surveyed, then Japan's ranking would have been higher?
1: <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> it is a fact that the top ten is dominated by Western nations, uh, mostly mm. Scandinavian nations. And I was wondering whether this kind of report really reflects, because you know each culture has different sort of concepts towards uh, happiness and satisfaction. And that was the starting point of me starting to explore uh, happiness in Japan. Okay. So for this piece, I uh, also spoke with Kyoto University professor Yukiko Uchida, and uh, she said it's hard to say if this kind of survey works with a typical Asian mindset.
0: Right. In the story, Professor Uchida said that Japanese respondents would tend to gravitate between 5 and an 8 when describing their lives on a scale of 1 to 10 in happiness, while the American respondents were more polarized.
1: Right. I think it's fair to say that the Japanese people tend to play down their situations. Mm. Uh, if they think their lives are bad, they may think, well, you know, at least I have a I have a roof or a mm. home um, yeah. or something like that. Similarly, they might not want to brag even if things are going really well. It's sort of considered um, bad taste to be bragging about your own personal happiness or wealth. So they're more likely to just sort of uh, sit just above the middle, perhaps. Okay, even in a survey? Yes. And Professor Uchida also pointed out that the concept of happiness is different in Japan, uh, more Asia, uh, than it is uh, in the United States and the West.
0: So according to her, people in the West measure happiness by individual achievement and independence and self-sufficiency, whereas in Asia, there's more weight placed on how well you're getting along with the people around you. Does she have a solution for this?
1: So Uchida says uh, Japanese happiness might be better measured on what she calls the interdependent happiness scale.
0: Okay, is that an official thing?
1: It was proposed by Uchida and a psychologist called uh, Hidefumi Hitokoto, who's an associate professor at Kwansei Gakuin University's uh, Department of Psychological Sciences. And it essentially measures uh, one's well-being based on interpersonal harmony, ordinariness, and acquiescence. And the results have shown that the degree to which these criteria um, are related to general well-being is stronger in Asian countries. Mm than in Western nations. And it's more prominent in rural areas than in urban areas. Hmm. It sort of goes back to how Hatoyama ranked really high in a a different survey. Right, right. And to quote she says, you know, when we measure happiness using this scale, Japan is basically on par with other countries.
0: Okay, Alex, Yes. so we've gone through two years of a global pandemic, and in that time, you've written a lot about the national psyche. Uh, You wrote a piece in 2021 about the fine line between loneliness and solitude, and there was one that you mentioned earlier on the positive view of depopulation in the rural areas of Japan. So I got to ask you, where do you think Japan stands at the moment in terms of happiness, loneliness, depression, and so on? Uh, I mean, after the Abe killing, should we throw anger in there as well? That's obviously a very difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) You are not a psychologist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a psychologist, and uh, I'm just a reporter, um, but I basically grew up here. I was born in 1981, so I grew up during the 1980s when Japan went through the bubble economy, uh, through the 90s when the bubble popped and Japan sort of entered what they call the uh, the lost decade or decades Mm -hmm. of economic stagnation, um, which I think continues to this day. So there's a generational difference, I think, in terms of uh, contentment in their lives and happiness, loneliness, et cetera. You have the baby boomers, uh, my parents' generation, they're extremely upbeat in terms of uh, how they sort of manage things, how they uh, look at things. I think They grew up during Japan's economic miracle when everything was soaring, you know, uh, they were making more money and life seemed as if you know it was always going to be something better and better and better. Right. Whereas uh, my generation who grew up during uh, the so-called uh, employment ice age, uh, the, sort of the economic doldrums, I think people uh, 40 and younger tend to hold a, a much more pessimistic sort of outlook toward life in general. Mm. Uh, adding to that, there's you know extreme geopolitical tensions all over the place. Um, you never know when uh, Japan might be roiled into one of these uh, confrontations. But all that said, Japan has been a pretty peaceful nation since the uh, the end of the war. Yeah. So for the past seven years or so, um, it hasn't been entangled in major conflicts. The economy, while it's hasn't been doing that well, still um, you don't see the kind of extreme wealth gap or poverty that you might see in other nations. So I think there's a general sense of sort of uncertainty in the air that uh, most Japanese feel. And I think that could sort of impact how they assess their own happiness or loneliness. Hmm. And talking about loneliness, obviously the entire world was <laughs> going through the pandemic. Yeah. So it's not just Japan, right? I think you know, people across the globe had to deal with this kind of uh, extreme situations or lack of interpersonal connection, stuff like that. In Japan, I think people have managed it perhaps a little bit better than uh, some other uh, nations. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe it's uh, just the people's mentality that you know they they tend to sort of accept what comes at them. One potential hypothesis is that you know Japan is a very disaster prone nation. We've seen tsunamis, earthquakes all the time. You never know when uh, your life might sort of turn upside down. So mm. I think. There's uh, that sort of uh, psychological aspect um, among the Japanese that, you know, you don't want to expect the best out of, you know, the situation. Always look at what could happen to you. And I'm not saying that, you know, this is like a negative outlook, but I think it just comes naturally if you're living in in this island nation. So all that said, I think people are doing pretty well, at least for now. Thankfully, because uh, Japan's not in war, we haven't seen earthquake disasters in a decade or so. We have, we've seen many smaller ones or, yep. or, or or mid-sized ones, I guess. But I think the main concern from now on is, you know, the country's uh, sort of international competitiveness is uh, gradually sort of sinking. We don't see as many uh, younger students going overseas. Obviously, it's, you know, the pandemic has something to do with that mm-hmm. as well. So I think what the nation really has to sort of deal with right now is... Uh, Obviously, national security uh, in this situation, but also how to sort of uh, inject sort of hope into its younger generation to have them feel that, you know, there's something beyond just working till retirement and getting your retirement pension, which is going to be very lower compared to uh, our parents' generation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: is there anything we can take away from the people of Hatayama?
1: So when you're, when you're talking about the baby boomers, the older generation living in Hatoyama, I think they've basically sort of made their way through their lives without having to face um, extreme sort of catastrophe, uh, you know, like, like war or, right. or, or, or extreme poverty. Um, and they're getting a sort of healthy retirement pension. Then we have the younger generation folks moving into Hatoyama. And I think they're looking for something entirely different, perhaps a more laid back lifestyle, cheaper rent. I mean, Hatoyama used to be expensive, but now you can see, you can buy properties for, you know, 5 million yen, 6 million yen there. Mm. Um, it's relatively close to big city centers, and especially now when the remote working is uh, becoming the norm, people can, if you have a job or uh, IT-related job or anything that involves uh, uh, the internet and internet communication, it, you don't have to, you know, be located in the city. Right. So it's appealing to a different sort of demographic entirely. So I think... In terms of happiness or loneliness, those psychological aspects of the Japanese looking ahead, I think the younger generation, in terms of what they want for contentment in their lives, are uh, not very materialistic anymore. I think it's more about uh, sort of uh, creating a healthy community, a healthy lifestyle, and a laid-back lifestyle.
0: Okay, Alex Martin, thank you very much. Thank you. My thanks again to Alex for coming on this week's show. We'll put links to his stories on the various emotions Japan has been feeling over the past year in the show notes. It's interesting stuff. Elsewhere in the Japan times, 26-year-old Mei Tomikawa and 18-year-old An Kozuchi were among the 156 people killed in that tragic Halloween crush in Seoul on Saturday. The news prompted my colleague Tomoko Otake to take a look at the lessons Japan has learned from its own deadly crush incidents and why risks remain. And the highly transmissible XBB variant of the coronavirus has now been detected in Tokyo, where authorities have seen a tenth straight day of rising COVID-19 cases. The number of new cases in the capital stood at 6,520 on Tuesday, up by around 1,800 from a week earlier. On top of that, syphilis cases topped 10,000 this year for the first time since 1999. You can find more coverage on all these issues on our website at japantimes.co.jp. Production for today's episode came courtesy of Dave Cortez. Our theme music is by 4L. And our outgoing track, the one you're listening to in the background just now, is by Oscar Boyd. Until next week, potsukaresama.